The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Again, this has been such a an incredible morning uh, already here in this place. It's it feels a little bit like we're replanting a church. Uh, we got here and had to figure out how to set up things again. It was a lot of fun. Um, it really was. I mean that. Um, but listen, our mission remains the same. Our location may have changed this morning, uh, but our mission remains the same. Here's what excites me. We believe that the only power to save, the only power to save us, to set us free from our sin, the only true and lasting hope, peace, joy, life that there is, is through Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his gospel. We believe this and we hold to this and it excites me to be able to meet here as a church because we get to proclaim the gospel from this place. I, I love, I love that. Um, I say this, we say this a lot around here, but we're an intentionally simple church. Uh, we're, we're not here to kind of rally around any kind of motivational speech. And I promise you, my main goal is not to entertain you. I promise you, you don't want that in your church. Um, we're a simple church. We say this a lot. We're intentionally simple and gospel-centered. And I, I'm going to add that we are intentionally simple because we are gospel-centered. Um, we don't want anything to distract from this. And so I'm excited to be able to be here and proclaim the gospel here from this, uh, from this location. So here at, at our church, we walk through books of the Bible together. And over this last season, we have been walking through the book of Romans. Incredible book. We've been walking slowly through it. And God has been using this book in some incredible ways in my life. And um, last weekend, we, we finished chapter 8 with this just powerhouse of a text just such a hope-filled text. And, and we're coming out of that, and um, we're going to be stepping into chapter 9 today. And as we do, I want to take just a quick moment, I think it'll make sense why I'm doing this, to get us all caught up with what we have seen so far in Romans. Um, just, just very, very quick. So what, what we've seen so far is Paul, or Paul is, has written Romans. He's the writer of Romans, wrote to a church in Rome. And he starts off his letter with this powerful statement early in the letter. He makes this powerful statement that justification is by faith alone, that the righteous shall live by faith. He makes this statement and then from there begins to slowly unpack what that means. He slowly unpacks and builds little by little, showing us the beauty of the gospel as he does it. And, and he starts us off with our need. If you remember back in the beginning of Romans, he starts us off with our need and talking about the fact that we are all broken and we are all sinners. We have all sinned. There is no one righteous, no, not one, not uh, any Jew, not any Gentile, not in, any man or any woman, not anyone young and not anyone old. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. He starts us here. And Paul also says, and, and, and don't forget, your God is perfect. He is perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly all the time. 
You are broken, you're a sinner, he is perfect, he is holy. And his only response, his only right response to our sin, Paul says, is his wrath, is the wrath of God. And so what we talked about very early in Romans is the question of Romans is not, will God pour out his wrath for my sin? That's not the question. The question of Romans is, who is going to bear the wrath of God for my sin. Will it be me or will it be Christ? That's the question of Romans. And, and Paul puts it in, our, in, in, in such beautiful terms. And he unpacks it. In chapter 4, I believe, he's, he begins to talk about how this is, not, this is no new plan. This is the plan from the beginning through Abraham, through the Old Testament saints. Salvation is always by grace through faith. We have peace with our God, not based on what we do, but on faith in him. And the life we live now is a life in the spirit. Well, we're no longer slaves to our sin, but now we walk. We have a new master. We have a new master, and that master is Jesus, and we're free from our old self. And so what we saw in chapter 8 as we get kind of close to where we are is in this, we are adopted children of God. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are indwelled by the Spirit who promises, guarantees all that God has promised us. We are justified, sanctified. We, are, we will be glorified. And then last week we saw, and nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of our God in Christ. So nothing can take away that. Nothing in all of the world. Because the Christian life is not about ease, wealth, health, success. The Christian life is the life where we get Jesus and no matter what, no matter what comes our way, we are held, kept, and secure. And Paul says we're more than conquerors. More than conquerors. So in Christ, you're a child of God. Your God is perfectly sovereign, perfectly good, and we have nothing to fear. Let's talk about good news, right? So it, it just kind of keeps getting better. We, 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 um, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, I'm sure you have. But the gospel is too good for anyone to take all of it in in one sitting. It's just, it takes a lifetime to process this. And now we get to step into chapter 9 here. And, and Paul has taken us now into this really unique section of Scripture. Um, we're only going to look at the first five verses of chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. If you haven't already, find your place with me in 9, uh, the first five verses. Here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to reveal an implication of the gospel. He's going to reveal one of the implications when we truly understand the truth of Romans 1 through 8. If we understand that, then Romans 9 is going to start with a massive implication of that truth. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to read this straightforward. And then we'll get to work, okay? So, so here it is, all the way through these first five verses. Paul says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. That's fun. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. All right. I'd like to pray that God would use this time. Would you pray with me? God, your word is true. Your word is the truth about who you are, the truth about who we are, the truth about the good news of your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, I ask that you speak to us. You have promised to speak to the preaching of your word, and I ask that you speak. We need you, not just my words, but Father, through your word, through the preaching of scripture. So would you speak Would you continue to change us through your Holy Spirit? And would you receive all the glory for this morning in the name of Jesus? Amen. All right, I want to start with a question. I want to kick us off with a bit of a question this morning. Um, What happens when you begin to understand the gospel? What happens when you begin to understand, when your eyes begin to see the gospel and you're, whoo, right? What happens? What happens when you begin to grasp all that God has done? What happens when you begin to grasp the fact he called you, redeemed you, forgave you, set you free, adopted you as his child? What happens when we begin to understand that? When we begin to grasp the fact that we're not the same as we once were, when we begin to grasp the fact that we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, what happens, church, when you and I, when we begin to understand the gospel? What happens when we start to understand Romans 1 through 8, all the stuff that I just unpacked on you? What happens? Well, there's a response we believe that there's a response that happens. And, and in this response, we respond in, in faith. We respond in uh, worship and in gratitude. I mean, in fact, so many times, actually all the time, what we do when we come here is just that. We are responding to the gospel together in worship, in gratitude, and in praise. Um, I've said this before, but the, we believe, I deeply believe with everything in me that the gospel is not only for the lost. People who do not yet follow Jesus, they're not the only ones who need to hear the gospel proclaimed. I believe that we all need the gospel proclaimed. And in fact, I believe the longer you follow Jesus the more you know you need to hear it more often. I believe that you never graduate from the gospel. It is salvation to the lost, milk for the new believer, meat for the mature believer. This is what we do when we gather here. We proclaim the gospel and together we respond to it because worship is one of the things that happens when we See it when we grasp it, when we begin to understand. But church, it's not, that's not all. That's not all. Because when the gospel penetrates our heart, we respond in worship. We respond in obedience. There's another one. 
We respond in compassion. We respond with the fruits of the Spirit starting to pop up everywhere in our, in our lives, right? We respond. Um, the Holy Spirit just begins to do his work. And how, how about this? We respond by our priorities can get completely switched around from what they once were. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your heart. These are all responses um, to the gospel, which by the way, this is why Christianity is not and will never be legalism. Christianity is about response. Legalism says do this and don't do that in order that you be saved and in order that you distinguish yourself from the other boneheads around you. That's legalism. Christianity says no. But the gospel says no. Come to Christ in your brokenness. Come to Christ in your brokenness and respond to the gospel and be changed from the inside out. Totally different. I could go on and on. But um, there are so many things that happen in our lives as we respond to the gospel. And yet in these first five verses here, we see yet another thing that happens in our hearts as res- in response to the gospel when we understand the gospel. And that is brokenness. Brokenness for other people. I don't think we talk about this as much as we should. Um, But one of the natural, one of our natural responses to the good news of Jesus Christ, one of the ways that the Spirit changes us in response to the gospel is church brokenness. You hear that and you think, well, pastor, that stinks. Like, you you shouldn't go there. Like, this, you should invite people in, not tell people, come, you'll get broken. Um, But hear me. The gospel is, it is joy, it is peace, it is life, it is love. Um, You're right, it does bring all these things. It does do all of this in our heart. For all who follow Jesus, we, we get that. But when we understand that, the more we understand that, the more we begin to realize that people we love, that people we know, don't yet know that. The more we understand the goodness of the gospel, the more broken we are for those who do not yet know, for the lost. Listen to how Paul expresses this. Here's what he says. I am speaking, listen to that. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Just pause here. What is Paul saying I mean, this is scripture. Does he have to say I'm speaking the truth? Isn't it all the truth? Right? Um, uh, of course you're speaking the truth. Why? Of course you're not lying, Paul. But what is Paul, what is Paul saying here? Um, we use this kind of language all the time. I just want to point this out to you. I, I have caught myself using this language all the time. It's, it's me being, just let me be honest with you. When I say that, and I, am I saying I wasn't honest with you before? I hope you don't think that. I hope not. Let me just, let me be real with you. Were you not real before? It's the same language. It's the same tool that Paul is using here. It's a literary tool that just says, Paul is just saying, this is coming from the heart. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I am saying. Focus on this. Don't miss this. Don't question this. This is from the Lord. This is a word from the Lord. Um, you, you, 
when you see this, just please know that what comes after this is no more or less inspired than what came before it. Important that we know that. Just all scripture is God-breathed. God-inspired, fully true, fully reliable, given to us by God. But when you see this, this is Paul like saying, hey, 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 let me be honest with you, okay? That's the tone. That's the tone I want you to, you, you to hear with this. And so, and, and also think about what Paul just did here. So he just laid out this, especially coming off of chapter 8, this beautiful picture of the gospel that will never be separated from it. And then what does he say? Let's get real. I'd, I'd rather be separated. You see what he's saying? Here, it, it, it's this... No wonder he is saying, hey, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Because when you hear it, it's like, how on earth could you mean that? Listen to what Paul says. He says, I have great sorrow in unceasing anguish in my heart. So his moment of transparency is this. After all the goodness of the gospel that he has just talked about, his heart is broken. His heart is filled with sorrow. Paul, how could you be broken? In light of chapter 8, how could you? You should be dancing around in joy and worship right now. How could you be broken? You shouldn't be wallowing around in sorrow and anguish. What is going on? What's wrong with you? But remember, one of the things that happen as we begin to understand the gospel, one of the things that takes place, often, yes, it does lead to dancing and laughter and joy. and uh, It does. Yet often, so many times, it leads us to brokenness. Because our hearts begin to break for what breaks his. Our hearts begin to break for those who do not yet know him. Our hearts begin to break, especially for those who are closest to us. Here in this moment, I think we just need to acknowledge something. Many of you know exactly what I mean. And I know this because I've heard the stories. Many of you have people that come to your mind right now. Um, For so many, every time you hear the gospel proclaimed, your mind fills with faces and names of those who do not yet know Christ, who have not yet responded to the gospel. And because, since if, if I truly believe the scripture, then I have to deal with the heaviness of those who do not yet know. And there's a brokenness that we face in that that is really deep. And if only they would see it, if only they would know it, we say things like this and we pray things like this. Church, for every person in this room or watching this right now, who right now you have someone in your mind. I'm going to talk a lot to you about this this morning, but right off the bat, you're not alone. You are not alone. Not only are you not alone in your church family in shouldering that weight, but you are not alone in that you are sharing the exact same burden that Paul is setting before you in this text. You stand linked arms with Paul this morning. And it is painful. I've said this, and and I I mean this, I said it jokingly, but as a pastor, I sometimes wish that I could preach universalism. I wish I could stand up right here and just say, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. Everyone makes it in the end. 
all roads lead to the same place. Just give it a little time. We're all good. I wish that I could say that. Why? Because I I often want to try to avoid the same pain as well. Why? Because pastorally, I want to do everything and I want to say something to take away the pain that you feel. The problem, though, is that universalism is not scriptural. It's not true. And it's not my place to take away the pain. As much as we would like to try to avoid it, we can't and we shouldn't. Let's just take in what Paul says here. Verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What a statement, especially in light of the context. The end of chapter 8 says, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then what does Paul say right after that? I could wish that I were. I could wish that I myself was separated. If it meant that they would not be. Now, is that possible? No, it's not. Of course not. Because Paul's not the worthy substitute for their sin. He can't substitute himself. He could wish it, but he can't substitute himself. Christ is the only worthy substitute for their sin. So Paul says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. If it were only possible for me, I would give myself. I would give myself for them. That is the extent of the brokenness I feel. And I will push this again. Many of you know that brokenness. That you would give yourself. You may be able to relate well to this cry from Paul this morning. For, for Paul, it's, it's my brother's. This is my kinsman according to the flesh. And it just reminds us that church, to accept Jesus' words, that he is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. To accept Christ, to accept the gospel, is also to accept the truth that those who haven't, even those we love who have not. And that's the brokenness of this text. And I believe that what Paul now says in verses 4 and 5 is incredibly relatable. And I will propose that verses 4 and 5 are uniquely relatable for us as the American church. Listen to what Paul says. Um, Paul says, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, right? And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Here's what Paul is saying here. The Israelites are set up. They have it all. They got it all. They, they are God's chosen people. They saw God move. They witnessed his faithfulness. They have the practices. They have the law. They have the lineage. I mean, they have Abraham. They have Moses. They have David. They have Jesus. They have it all. They're poised to have it all. Listen, if salvation were by proximity, 
they would have been in. If salvation were about proximity, how close we were to Jesus' things, then they would have been in. But salvation is not by proximity, but by grace through faith alone in Christ. And Paul is broken by this, and I propose that we should be as well. Let me be honest with you in Paul's words. Get what I did there? Let me be honest with you here. Let's get real. If salvation were by proximity, then droves of people out that door, droves of people in our community would be saved. We have churches all over our community. We have remnants of the Christian worldview just sprinkled everywhere. We see Christian signs. We see Christian stuff in our stores. We can easily find it. More than that, you and I, we have access to all the scripture that we need. Like, unheard of access to scripture. In fact, I won't talk about my own bookshelf, but our bookshelves are probably full with translation upon translation of Bibles, robust notes for us to just enjoy and chew. We have access to all the best teaching. You could get it right now for any book of any time frame that you wanted. Like, crazy. You have a device in your pocket that with your little finger, you can pull up Troves of information and teaching and every translation that you could possibly need. Unprecedented. And I would also guess that not one of you faced life-threatening persecution to get here this morning. The reality is, church, we are around the gospel a lot. We are around, we're in close proximity to Jesus' things a lot. If only salvation were by that, then we would be in. But church, just like Paul, just like the Israelites, salvation is not by proximity, status, ethnicity, or the privilege of your birth. You're not salvation, you're not saved by your American passport. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The gospel must be proclaimed. And and we share so much in common with Paul as we think about looking out of those doors and thinking of the community that is lost and broken, even though they are so close to the gospel being proclaimed. Through those doors are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are in close proximity to the gospel and yet who have not responded to it. Um, In fact, I I share a stat with you. Uh, I don't know how you feel about demographic or stats. Um, Chances are you probably burn out a little bit of them. They're in the news all the time. But regardless, we had a demographic study done of this community. Right here in this, this zip code, we had this done... In 2015. Some things have changed by then. Um, But this is revealing. Um, Let's let's look at this. So according to this demographic study done, only 14% of the people in our community 
believe that faith of any kind is important for them in their lives. That's a demographic report done of the world outside those doors. 14% believe that faith of any kind is important for them in their lives. 14. Now, regardless of how leery you are about surveys, um, I am too, that's fine, but let's just take in what this means. That means that conservatively, according to the study, 86% or more might be in close proximity to the gospel, but have not yet responded to it. I say or more because if you notice, this is faith of any kind. I'm not only talking about Christians here. Um, now, um, this is obviously a stat, take it or, or leave it. Um, but what is clear is that outside these doors is a community who yet, they're close in proximity, but yet are not in Christ. And here in this text, Paul is responding to the gospel with a brokenness for the lostness of his community. Now, I believe there are two kinds of people in this room. And I'm not going to get us to raise our hands and say which side we're on here. Um, you might be here. And that first kind of person, you might be here. And you might be able to relate well to Paul. You might be here and you currently are broken for the lostness of your community, of your neighborhood, of your family, of your friends. You might be here and you might be broken for the lostness of the people who do not yet know Jesus. They do not yet know the goodness of Jesus. Maybe you have family even who you are pleading that they would see. Church, again, I will say it, you are not alone. You stand in a long line of saints, of brothers and sisters who have gone before you, who have shouldered that weight. You are not alone. You stand linked arms with brothers and sisters who are shouldering that weight today. You are not alone. And to you, church, I say this. Do not grow weary in doing good. Keep praying for your community your family, your friends. Keep sharing the gospel with them. There is no one too lost who cannot be found. There is no one too sinful to be forgiven through the cross of Jesus. By the way, I believe that this pain is part of what it means to take up the cross and follow him. The cross is not a pleasant thing to take up. Neither is this brokenness. Don't grow weary in this. He will be your strength. He has invited you to come to him with your burdens. Come to him with your burdens. And continue to pray and to proclaim the gospel. Here at Stone Oak, um, this is what helped us launch into what we call the Who's Your One um, initiative. And the idea for this was simple. It was... It was, who can we be praying for today, sharing the gospel with the today? Who is on our heart? Who is our burden? And as a part of this, all this was was a simple call to pray for our one, 
also be obedient with the opportunities that we are now given to proclaim the gospel to our one. To feel, it's that feeling, that burden of the lostness of our community. I, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you feel that, if you feel that burden, if you are relating to Paul, join in the Who's Your One. Just start there. I, I was asked, why not more than one? Go. Start with one. And this is a call to lean in in prayer and to continue to trust that God is able to save, mighty and able to save. Um, But listen, church, you might be here. You might be on the other group of people. You might be here and you cannot relate to Paul. As unspiritual as that may sound, if you're honest, you cannot relate to Paul. And let me tell you, it is much easier to distract ourselves, entertain ourselves, preoccupy ourselves, convince ourselves that everything is fine than to engage with that kind of brokenness. I mean, pastor, who wants to walk around uh, wearing 86% on our shoulders? Who wants to walk around with that kind of weight? I mean, it's just too heavy. So what if you're here and you cannot or you are unwilling to relate to Paul? I'll say the same thing. You are not alone. You are not alone. There are many of us who do not want to put that weight on our shoulders. And I want to share a couple things um, <laughs> I promise you I am not going to stand up here and tell you, care more. That's impossible. I wish it worked like that. I wish I could just go, care more, care more, and then all of a sudden our care would just start. It just doesn't work like that. At best, I can motivate you. Maybe inspire you. But you know what motivation and inspiration does after time? Goes right back down. Okay, So at best, I can just work us all up into a tizzy and get us feeling it for a little bit. I don't want that. I, I don't want that. I, it, it, because that kind of change doesn't come from the inside out. It comes from the outside in, and it doesn't last. And that's not what I'm, what I'm asking. Um, I can't tell you to care more. I, can't, I don't even want to try to motivate you to care more about the lostness in your community because here's the, here's the fact. Instead, if you find yourself not able to relate to Paul this morning, if you find yourself not willing to relate to Paul this morning, um, the answer to that, the call for you is to consider the gospel. It's a call back to the gospel. Specifically, I'm going to point out three things. There are far more things that I could say about this, but I want to point out three things. Number one, the gospel reminds you that you are them apart from the grace of God. What I mean by this is you are a sinner. You did nothing, you have done nothing, and you will do nothing to save yourself. You have done nothing to bring to the table that makes you more attractive than anyone else. You've done nothing to bring anything to the table. You are a sinner, and apart from the grace of God, you are them. 
you are lost, you would be hopeless. One of the main things that the gospel will do is remove pride. Removes pride because it tears down the walls between us and them. It tears down the walls. There is no us and them based on ethnicity, language, nationality, age, tribe, status, wealth, area code, or even your squeaky clean moral code. There is no difference. None. The only meaningful category is this. Have you responded in faith to the gospel? Are you in Christ? We, we said that the question was, who's going to bear the wrath of God? Will it be you or will it be Jesus? Those are the two categories. Here's the reality. When we see ourselves in them, that I am them apart from the work of Jesus, our hearts begin to soften with a little thing called compassion. Our pride is replaced by compassion. And let me remind you, God demonstrated his great love for you in that while you were dead in your sin, Christ willingly died for you. The gospel tells you that your God did not leave you in that sin, but he stepped into your mess. He stepped in to your mess to save you. He put on flesh. The gospel is that Jesus entered my mess to save me. And now I can, can and must follow his example to step into that mess. For those in my life so that they can know Jesus. I am them. I was them apart from the grace of God. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Compassion for the lost is a response to the gospel. We talked about this. Compassion for the lost is a response to the gospel. It's not self-generated. In fact, it's a work of the Holy Spirit that sometimes doesn't come naturally. Have you ever said, I wish I was more compassionate? There's truth to that. You might not be. The Holy Spirit is, though. And we're new. We are new in him. It's not something you need to try real hard at. And I think that's really good news. We stink at this sometimes. Our call is to come to Jesus and let him transform us and make us compassionate, not to really work hard to be compassionate for Jesus. It's a huge distinction. And our response to this, in all honesty, is a, I did it again, using Paul's words, um, it's twofold. On the one hand, I just want to be clear. We proclaim the gospel to the lost, on the one hand, just out of simple obedience. Because our Savior told us to. We've um, said this before, but it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. So there's a reality that we, as a child of God, we share the gospel with the people in our life because Jesus, our Savior, told us to. That's on this hand. But oh, on the other hand, on the other hand, 
as the Holy Spirit works in us and changes us from the inside out, we become the people who desire to. There's two truths here. Our hearts soften, and we proclaim the gospel because we cannot not do it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And my prayer is that we would be obedient to Christ, regardless of how you feel about it. And that we would be obedient to proclaim the gospel, absolutely. But far more than that, church, my prayer is that we would also be a people who cannot not do it who are burdened for the lostness of our community. I pray that we would be an obedient and broken people. And this wouldn't come from some motivational speech or me guilting you into sharing the gospel with your neighbor this afternoon. Don't let me do that. Jesus is clear. Be obedient and allow the Spirit to break your heart. but that we would respond to the gospel in obedience and proclaim it. And lastly, um, this is something we probably need to talk about more. We will experience both sadness and joy as we proclaim the gospel. Um, We will experience both sadness and joy as we proclaim the gospel. Um, there is a sense that as we read this and as we, we see the sadness and anguish here in this text, that for many of us, we just don't want to step into that. Not today. I'm too busy. Not today. But hear me, it's only when we step into this brokenness that we're able to experience the unexpressible joy of seeing God's work in someone else's life. It's only when we step into this that we're able to see someone else respond to the gospel. And I want to tell you, there are a few things that come close to that level of joy. When we see the Lord work on someone. And we see their life change. And we see them respond. And if you're unwilling to step into the brokenness, you will never know that joy. You will never walk in that joy. As we close, um, I want to share a testimony with you. Uh, I heard uh, a story from someone this week in our church. Um, someone shared this, this uh, testimony that happened, um, I believe it was last week. And she shared the story of the moment when she stood out on the limb. Stood out on the limb. And shared the gospel with someone in her life. I mean, in a real way, one-on-one, just went for it and told this person uh, all that Jesus had done. And I say stood out on the limb, and I use that word intentionally. Stood out on the limb because many of you know that feeling of not knowing if they're going to respond positively. And this is going to be the most memorable conversation you've ever had in your life. Or if they're going to hear all that you say and um, reject the gospel and then things get super awkward. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Not many of us love that awkwardness. But guess what? She did share the gospel. And the person did respond to the gospel. 
the person responded in faith to Jesus. And as she shared, you could almost sense it. She couldn't even really express the joy she was feeling. Here's the reality. Church, if she was, had not been willing to step into the brokenness of the lostness, she would also not have been able to step into the joy of leading that individual to see Jesus. Although there is sadness, and although there is a sadness that Paul expresses here in this text, and it is true, there is nothing, nothing like the joy of sharing the gospel with a person and seeing their eyes open. In church, that is what we are invited to. To link arms with those who have gone before us, like Paul, link arms with the many saints who have been saved by grace through faith. And now we get to shoulder that weight together. As a church family, we now get to shoulder the brokenness of our community to intercede on their behalf, to continue to proclaim the gospel, which is the only, only power to save, church. Let's pray together. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for the truth the truth of what we have seen. I thank you for the truth that we've seen all through Romans, how good your gospel truly is and how incredible it is as we have walked through it. But Lord, we acknowledge right now in this moment that along with that can often come a brokenness for those who do not yet know. I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters here and who are joining us for all who have someone who is in their mind right now, for all who have someone who their heart is just broken over, I pray right now that you would move. I pray right now that we would begin to hear testimonies of obedience and sharing the gospel, but I pray right now that we would hear testimonies of those who are responding in faith to the gospel. We know that the gospel is the power to save. So I just pray that you would use us as your mouthpieces. I pray for those who are sharing in that brokenness. I pray that you are their comfort that you would strengthen them and give them all the endurance to finish their race. I also pray for those who are in this room and listening to this that do not and cannot relate to Paul this morning. I pray that more than anything that they have heard, I pray that you would do a work from the inside out and that you would begin to soften hearts of stone. Break our heart for our community. Lord, let we be your mouthpiece. Let, let us be your people and would you use us to introduce Jesus to people who, although they might be in close proximity, 
have not responded. Would you use us? Would you use our church? Would you use our people? And would you get all the glory for it and not us? We long to make disciples of Christ. Would you help us on our mission to do that? In Jesus' name.